Thank you for who you are. I pray that uh, your spirit would be here with us this morning. I pray that you would unite us. You would help us to uh, see a future vision. Uh, we'd help us to see what you would have for us as a church. Um, I pray you'd speak through Michael. You'd speak through your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. And you may be seated. Let me grab something. On the back table is uh, something for you to take a little bit, but I want to explain it first. In uh, in Joshua chapter four, we're going to get to First Peter. Um, it's our last <laughs> message in First Peter, so it's the last one of these you'll see for a while. My daughter said this is the one I should wear for the last one. If dinosaurs don't make you uncomfortable, then nothing will. But uh, in Joshua chapter 4, uh, they have uh, crossed into the promised land after um, spending 40 years wandering around aimlessly. Um, though God had a purpose, I'm going to get rid of all you rebellious no-goods and raise up a new generation who will actually believe and trust me. So we read this in Joshua chapter 4. When the nation had finished passing over the Jordan, the Lord said to Joshua, Take twelve men from the people, from each tribe a man, and command them, saying, Take twelve stones from here out of the midst of the Jordan, from the very place where the priest's feet stood firmly, and bring them over with you, and lay them down in the place where you lodged tonight. Then Joshua called the twelve men from the people of Israel whom he had appointed, a man from each tribe. And Joshua said to them, Pass on before the ark of the Lord your God into the midst of the Jordan, and take up each of you a stone upon his shoulder, according to the number of the tribes of the people of Israel, that this may be a sign among you. When your children ask in time to come, What do these stones mean to you? Then you shall tell them that the waters of the Jordan were cut off from before the ark of the covenant of the Lord. When it passed over the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off. So these stones shall be to the people of Israel a memorial forever. It's not the only time God had people set up stones or pile up stones. Uh, memorial stones were something God had the people do on a semi-regular basis. Two purposes. A testimony, an immediate testimony of something God has just done. He's parted the waters a second time. First was 40 years earlier when they escaped from the Egyptians. And now the waters had parted to allow them into their own home. That journey from escape from Egypt to arriving safely where they need to be took 40 years. And so as he's parted the waters a second time, they're to set up stones as a, a testimony and a reminder to themselves... Look what God has done. Despite our disobedience, look at His faithfulness. But it's also supposed to be a testimony to anybody who walks by, children in the future, hey, what is that? Now let me tell you this story. Let me tell you this wonderful story of what God has done. As we finish our time in First Peter this morning, I want us to spend some time this morning thinking back what has God done in my life through the testimony of the Apostle Peter. What has he taught me? What has he reminded me of? 
What has he encouraged me toward? What has he challenged me? What has he convicted me of? How has he changed me? Now, you may have been sitting here and, and nothing dramatic has overly happened. And that's fine, I suppose. But I do want us this morning to, to put up a standing stone. Now, I don't have a, a river. We're not going to go out back and get 12 rocks or 60 rocks. I mean, folks are sitting in here. Um, but I do want to give you, if, if you would like, a, a standing stone, a reminder. Something that's out of the ordinary. People didn't walk by and see a big pile of 12 rocks, right? I want to give you something that's, that's out of the ordinary. Something to remind you of what we've been talking about. So I have a picture of ties. Most people don't have a picture of ties hanging on their fridge or on above their desk in their office or somewhere else. But if you would be brave enough and would like, I would love for you to take one of these and put it someplace prominent as a reminder to you of something that God has taught you. So when you look at that and go, yeah, I remember. In chapter 3 of 1 Peter, I was convicted and challenged of this. And then when someone walks by your fridge, company comes, or someone looks walks by your desk in your office and go, why in the world do you have a picture of a bunch of ties? Hey, let me tell you about what God has done. Right? There's, I think there's 60 of those back there. Um, if we need more, we can make more. If you'd like an electronic copy, let me know and I'll, I'll give you one. But those are in the back. Grab one before you leave. And in a little while, we're going to spend some time praying. And, and you might, as a reminder to you, write something down on the back of that picture. Just as a reminder, a verse, uh, a phrase, a line from First Peter, something we've talked about. You might go back and review your notes over First Peter and just spend this week kind of meditating on what have we talked about. Another reason that I encourage you to take note of something that you can hold on to and not just a bulletin that ends up somewhere like the trash. Or, But if you have a notebook where you're taking notes, then you have an opportunity to go back and review and think, what have we talked about over the last eight months? So, here's your standing stone or your standing ties or whatever you like, but I thought maybe it would be odd enough for it to be a reminder of what we have talked about. And those are your ties? And those are, yes, those are... You have actually worn. Uh, that I've worn in here on a Sunday morning, all of those, mm-hmm. since we've started. So this morning we're going we're gonna to finish up our... Our time, uh, three short verses, actually. So First Peter chapter 5, verses 12 through 14. Peter writes, By Silvanus, a faithful brother, as I regard him, I have written briefly to you, exhorting and declaring that this is the true grace of God. Stand firm in it. She who is at Babylon, who is likewise chosen, sends you greetings, and so does Mark, my son. Greet one another with the kiss of love. Peace to all of you who are in Christ. We're going to walk through that kind of verse by verse. But the main part of that is, this is the true grace of God. Well, what is this? We're going to talk about that specifically. But this, from chapter 1 to chapter 5, so you have to bear with me this morning because this is going to play in. I'm going to read this book to you. Doesn't take long, I think about seven minutes, maybe even less than that, if I start reading fast, which sometimes I tend to do. As I read, I want you to be in an attitude of prayer. God, where do I where do I see grace in my life through what you have written? You can follow along, you can close your eyes and listen, just don't go to sleep. 
So Peter begins this way. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father in the sanctification of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with His blood. May grace and peace be multiplied to you. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. That the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen Him, you love Him. Though you do not see Him now, you believe in Him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Concerning the salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves but you in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preached the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as He who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. And if you call on Him as Father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile knowing that you were ransomed from the feudal ways from your forefathers, not with perishable things, just silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, so that your faith and hope are in God. Having purified your souls, by your obedience to the truth for sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart, since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God. For all flesh is like grass, and the glory, and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers, and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander, like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. As you come to Him, a living stone, rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious, you yourselves are like living stones. You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone, and precious, and whoever believes in Him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone, and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, 
that you may proclaim the excellencies of Him who called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the emperor. Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only, to the, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. For this is a gracious thing, when mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it if when you sin, you are beaten for it, you endure? But if you... But if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in His steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in His mouth. When He was reviled, He did not revile in return. When He suffered, He did not threaten, but continued entrusting Himself to Him who judges justly. He Himself bore our sins in His body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed, for you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some of them do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives, when they see your respectful and pure conduct. Do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair, the putting on of gold jewelry, the clothing you wear. But let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. And this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husbands. As Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, and you are her children if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. Finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless. For to this you were called, that you may obtain a blessing, for whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Now who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? But if you should suffer for righteousness sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them nor be troubled. But in your hearts honor Christ as Lord, Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect having a good conscience so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. For it is better to suffer for doing good if that should be God's will than for doing evil. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh but made alive in the spirit in which he went and proclaimed to the spirits in prison because they formerly did not obey when God's patience waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared in which a few, that is, eight persons, were brought safely through water. 
Baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God with angels and authorities and powers having been subjected to him. Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. For whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, so as to live for the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. For the time that is past suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do, living in sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, and lawless idolatry. With respect to this, they are surprised when you do not join them in the same flood of debauchery, and they malign you. But they will give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. But this is why the gospel was preached even to those who were dead, that, they, that though judged in the flesh the way people are, they might live in the spirit the way God does. The end of all things is at hand. Therefore be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of, the God, of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks is one who speaks oracles of God. Whoever serves is one who serves by the strength that God supplies, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To Him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when His glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you're blessed, because the Spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. But let none of you suffer as a murderer, or a thief, or an evildoer, or as a meddler. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. For it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will, become, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if the righteous is scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another, for God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time He may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on Him, because He cares for you. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. By Silvanus, a faithful brother, as I regard him, I have written briefly to you, exhorting and declaring that this is the true grace of God. Stand firm in it. She who is at Babylon, who is likewise chosen, sends you his greetings, and so does Mark, my son. Greet one another with, a, with the kiss of love. Peace to all of you who are in Christ. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word and the truth that is in it. God, I pray that you would use this to strengthen our hearts, that you would remind us of your goodness to us and your grace 
and your mercy and your love. Open our ears to hear and our hearts to understand. But ultimately, God, we ask that you would, through the power of your Spirit, change our wills, that we'd be obedient. And we ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. A couple of questions I uh, just want to answer, and then we'll get to the heart of that. Um, first question is, this Sylvanus person, is he the one who wrote the letter? Is he the one that delivered the letter, or possibly both? Um, while in English it sounds like he's the one who wrote it, by Sylvanus I have written briefly to you, uh, that phrase actually uh, in Greek is almost always used for someone who delivers something. I'm writing to you through someone. In other words, that's the person who's delivering it. That doesn't mean that Sylvanus did, wasn't also a secretary as well. Uh, he could have done both. But at the very least, he's the one that delivered the letter. Uh, the issue that people have and that you may hear at time is there's no way Peter could have written this book because he was a, a lowly fisherman and the Greek is actually pretty good. Um, better than uh, John's Greek. Does it mean 30 years after we met him in the Gospels that uh, the time he spent in Rome he couldn't have learned a language very well and been fluent in it? It also doesn't mean that he didn't dictate it to somebody else in Aramaic and someone wrote it in Greek. Either way, um, not worth getting upset about or debating about, but at the very least, Sylvanus is the one that delivered the letter, um, we know. Second point, um, what is the true grace of God? Well, we can read that again if you'd like. <laughs> but is there a way to condense that down? Is there a way? What is the true grace of God? What's he talking about in this letter? Um, I think that we get a, a hint back in 2, 19 and 20 when he says, literally, for this is grace, when mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it if when you sin, you're beaten for it, you endure, but if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is grace in the sight of God. Um, you're telling me to say this is a gracious thing, but literally this is grace. So what is the true grace of God? Um, it's obedience despite whatever else is going on. By fully trusting in what He has done and what is to come. This letter is full of what God has done through Christ on the cross, and it is also full of pointing us forward to that day when all will be made well. And so... There is abundant grace for us when we come to Him when we don't feel like we can or should or could or even don't want to because life is just beating us up at the time. Whether that is actually persecution for our faith, faith or just one of those days uh, like this morning when uh, numerous things seem to just sort of go wrong all at once. And that's fine. Look, we're all here. And in a minute we're going to a few minutes, we're going to enjoy a meal together. We're going to feast together. Whether they're hardships or difficulties or persecutions or bad bosses or bad neighbors or bad spouses, whether there's bad friends or bad church relations, whether there's severe temptations, there is abundant grace for us when we come to God's presence and say, I can do this through your strength, not mine. That's what Peter's writing about. Um, Paul David Tripp says this, Grace will bring uncomfortable things into your life, 
We've talked about that, right? It is God's will that they suffer, we read. And then, it's not that he stops there. God will bring uncomfortable things into your life and then encourage you with the comforting person and presence of Jesus. The hard part is, will we remember to turn and look to him during those uncomfortable times? God has procured salvation for His people through the death of His Son so that we might live in whatever situation we find ourselves as Christ-like examples through the use of our gifts in submission to others in humility. And say that again. God has produced salvation for His people through the death of His Son so that we might live in whatever situation we find ourselves as Christ-like examples through the use of our gifts in submission to others in humility. That's the grace of God. It's a picture of grace to one another and to the world. It's we we talked about standing stones a minute ago, right? What what did he say? What did he call them in chapter two? You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. That's what we're supposed to be. Those standing stones. People look at us and go, what is that? And we say, let me tell you, that's the grace of God. And we're to stand in that. Verse 13. um, Who is she? Who is Babylon? And who is Mark? Um, She either refers to, in general, uh, the church, which is a feminine word in Greek, Uh, or the closest feminine noun that he's written is actually back in verse um, 9, the sufferings of your brotherhood, which is an odd thing. In Greek, the word brotherhood is feminine. It's the way Greek mothers taught their Greek children. You just have to deal with that. Um, So it could be either way, he's referring to a group of people. She, and then Babylon was uh, often a code word for Rome. Um... Whether that had developed by the time Peter wrote this letter or not, we're not completely sure. But at the very least, Babylon was the place where? What was Babylon? What was Babylon? Who went to Babylon? Israel did. When they got exiled, right? Babylon is the epitome of the place that you are if you're in exile, Right? And so Peter's writing to people who are out of place. He's writing himself, someone who is out of place, probably from Rome. This isn't Jerusalem anymore, Peter, right? Uh, Stood for the the place that is the epitome of a group of people who aren't where where they belong. I'm not sure Mark is probably John Mark, who we know from church history was a companion of Peter for a long time. Verse 14, what does it mean to greet one another with the kiss of love? I didn't kiss a single one of you when you walked in the door this morning. Thank you. <laughs> the reason he says that, because in that culture, you would uh, embrace and kiss family relations. And, and that is repeated in other places in the New Testament as you should treat the people that you gather with 
other believers just like you would treat and love your own family. Now, for us, coming from lots of different cultures and lots of different backgrounds, that becomes difficult because you might kiss and hug your family member every time you see them. You know, get together at a family reunion, you might kiss your brother and your sister and your aunt and your uncle, right? You might, just sh- you might slap them. I don't know. But that's not what he's talking about. It's, it's a kiss of love. Um, the idea very simply is, do you treat one another as family? Family that you actually like, family that you enjoy, that you spend time with. That's the idea. Think, well, how do I apply this to my life? Well, do you treat one another in this room when you greet one another on Sunday morning? Are they family? Do you understand it through the blood of Christ that they're family? And then he ends with a, a blessing. A very appropriate for these people who are undergoing difficulties. Peace to you. We all need that. We all long for that. We all want that. Peace. But notice how he ends. Peace to all of you who are in Christ. The simple truth of the matter is we will not find ultimate peace outside of a relationship with Jesus Christ. He can't legitimately say peace to all of you whether you're in Christ or not. It's just not possible. He can only legitimately say peace to you who are in Christ Jesus. And that's how he ends. He wants us to know that regardless of our day or our week or our month or our year or our decade, regardless of what's happening to us now, peace is available through Jesus Christ. And He wants us to stand firm in that, He says at the end of verse 12. Stand firm in it, in that grace, in that empowerment of the Holy Spirit to be obedient when I don't want to be obedient. To give and give and give even though people will take advantage of me. To humble myself before my brothers and sisters in Christ. That I might be a vessel of grace to them. That I might put everybody above myself. And that's hard to do because by golly, I'm important. (laughs) And there are some mornings that I'm more important than you are. And Peter says, that's, that's not the way it's supposed to be. And your standing stone, your tower, will look crumbly. <laughs> if, if we all walk in here with our own agendas going, but I want someone else to submit to me this morning because I've just, it's just been one of those weeks. And that doesn't mean we don't come around you and support you and love you and care for you. We should. Because there are some mornings we just don't, we don't have it, and that's why He's given us the body of Christ. <laughs> but are we on a, a week-to-week basis, do we have our radars up, and are we thinking, how can I show grace to someone this morning? How can I put their needs above my own this morning? How can I love somebody this morning? It's a challenge for all of us. Sometimes it's very difficult. I know because we also get people ready on Sunday morning and try to get out the door. Um, And sometimes in the process, you drop food that's been made and it goes lots of places. So I want us to spend a little bit of time um, praying this morning. I want us to think through, um, what does it mean for me 
that I've spent eight months showing up on Sunday morning and, and reading through this book and listening to someone talk about it. Pick, pray. God, show me one or two things from this book that we read this morning that you desire to challenge me on, to encourage me with. You may be like me this morning. I just I, I needed the songs that we sung this morning. Thank you, Brandon. I needed that reminder of His grace and His mercy that everything really is okay. It really, really is. You may that may be what you need to take away from this book that God really is in control. It may be something to deal with relationships between you and your spouse, between you and your neighbors, between you and other church members. I don't know. But would you take a few minutes? We're going to sit silently and and pray. I know there are some people that have done this in the past, have wiggly ones. Uh, If you need to, want to, as a family, um, slip out and pray together. Uh, when you hear us talking again, though, we'd like for you to come back because there are some things as a body we're going to spend time doing.